0: Good day, everybody. This is Med Conversations. Davo and Beck here. What are we talking about today, Beck?
1: Today we're talking about low urine output.
0: A very common ward call for me this year.
1: So we're taking this from the angle of an on-call intern, and it's not going to get into very much detail, but that's the idea. So mm. please forgive us for that. So first of all, just priorities for an on-call intern are. <laughs> The way I see it, just to make sure the patient doesn't die, is mm. the main the main priority. So, is the patient in a critical condition?
0: That is your job overnight to keep the patients alive overnight.
1: So, if the patient is critical, ask for help now, and then what comes next will be more obvious.
0: Unless you're in some rural centre and you are the help,
1: in which then case, deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what to do. Hopefully, you won't. <laughs> Okay, so, so first of all, is the patient in a critical condition? If yes, ask for help. Second, for a patient who's not in a critical condition, are there red flags present? We'll go into what these are later. And if that's the case, then you need to go back and make sure you have definitively ruled out those critical conditions and begin workup. If the patient has something that you can fix now, fix it.
0: Do they have a block catheter is the main question under under this?
1: Under this heading. Yeah. Mm. Um, And so the last thing, the last priority is um, knowing what to do if the patient's stable, so they're not critical, there are no red flags and they don't have anything you can fix now. Um, And from discussion with various people, um, it sounds like the best thing to do in this situation is to leave it to the treating team to sort it out tomorrow but leave very clear, open instructions to the um, ward staff to page you again if the patient does deteriorate.
0: Mm -hmm. And hand it over in the morning.
1: Mm. So today's podcast is about low urine output. So for every patient who has low urine output, you are obviously going to need to go and see them and do a history examination and check some of their paperwork. So in the history, the clearest thing that you're going to need to look for is what is their urine output. Mm-hmm. as well as finding out some of the, um, the background. So why are they in hospital? What are their vital signs at the moment? And have they got an IDC in? It's worth asking them if they have any abdominal pain, chest pain, although chest pain is usually the presenting complaint if it's present.
0: Yeah, it tends to be.
1: And then doing an examination. So Darva, what would you look for when you're examining any patient with low urine output?
0: So fluid status, so please refer to our acute renal failure podcast for more details on that, but that tends to be things like tissue turgor, mucous membranes, that kind of stuff. And then also have a feel of their bladder to see if it feels full or if it's sore in the kind of suprapubic region because they have a full bladder.
1: Yeah. So another thing to to look for is whether they actually have a documented fluid balance chart and checking the drug chart as well to see if the patient is on any nephrotoxic drugs or if any new drugs have been instituted recently, mm. which is often the case in hospital. Lastly, it's worth checking previous UEC results
0: mm.
1: to see if anything's been going off track for a while. Okay, so we mentioned earlier making sure that there aren't any red flags. So... Double, what are the red flags in terms of symptoms? What you can see in front of you?
0: So, the obvious one is kind of oliguria or a- anuria. So, if they're producing like really small amounts of urine, so less than 20 mils per hour or so is the technical definition of oliguria, they're much more likely to be in acute kidney injury. And if it's acute kidney injury, hyperkalemia is just a query of that that you worry about and can have ruin, like, can ruin your shift overnight, which is. <laughs> the scary part you might not be watching friends
1: it's also pretty bad for the patient <laughs> so so exactly so oliguria and anuria is the first one uh any others
0: chest pain is another one but as we said before that's probably likely to be your presenting issue with most nurses you tend to get a bit more worried about that so of course the end of the bed test does the patient looks sick and, uh, and finally, significant hypotension. So if they're in shock, that can be a cause of oliguria, in which case that's probably your bigger bigger problem and that's what you'll get paged about.
1: Good. So in terms of looking at red flags, the main reason we do that is to see if the patient is in a critical condition or about to fall into a critical condition. So with patients who have low urine output, the acutely life-threatening conditions that they might be suffering from fall into two categories. They can either be pre-renal or they can be renal.
0: So the pre-renal ones, as we talked about before, are the ones probably related to hypotension. So we won't run through all the causes of shock here. And the renal ones, Beck, what are they?
1: Any kind of acute kin- kidney injury, actually. And the reason for that is that the potassium increase resulting in AK- AKI is acutely life-threatening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So basically what you need to do is check um, any recent UECs that have been done and make sure that the potassium is okay. And if there are no recent UECs, take one. And it's worth considering doing a VBG or an ECG if you're concerned as well. Some okay.
0: cases. Good.
1: Yeah, so, so I thought we'd go through some very simple, common cases. So the first case, you get a page, please see Mr Jones read low urine output. So there are a few key questions. It's a very good
0: page, it's not just a number. It's very good.
1: (laughs) So there are a few questions that you need to ask in this situation every time, and just for simplicity. So the first question, how much urine has been passed in the past 24 hours? And in Mr. Jones' case, it is 370 mil. But, this is the important part, he's passed nothing for three hours. And
0: urea, that's no no good.
1: The second question, what are the vital signs? Normal. Mm -hmm. So that's okay, that's reassuring. Thirdly, is the patient complaining of abdominal pain? And the answer is yes. Does the patient have an indwelling catheter? Yes.
0: Bingo. Then you can just... Deal with it from there and go back to sleep.
1: <laughs> Although it is worth asking why the patient is in hospital. So in this case, Mr Jones is there for an elective total knee replacement. But exactly, we, we know that he's been on for a while with it, um, normal vitals and an IDC inside situ, so the differential is blocked IDC, blocked IDC, blocked IDC. <coughs> there are a few other causes, but they're much less common. So obstruction a bit higher up, mechanical obstruction of the bladder outlet, or an obstructed single kidney, but really mm. blocked IDC. So what do you do?
0: So if you're a good intern, which you should be, you say I'll come see the patient anyway, reassure the nurses, um, but ask them to flush the catheter in the meantime and to call back if that doesn't seem to work.
1: So if if it uh, if it doesn't work and urine output doesn't resume, then you need to see this patient as a matter of urgency. But if it does resume, then you can take your sweet time getting back there. And that's what happened in this case. So after a couple of episodes of scrubs, you went back to see the patient. You wouldn't do that because it's unprofessional. (laughs) Um, You went back to see the patient, and as the nurse had informed you, the urine output had indeed resumed, um, and it was greater than 20 mils an hour. The UEC was normal, and the patient at the moment... Is uh, resting in bed comfortably, has a normal fluid status exam, non-tender bladder, which is not palpable, and the vitals are still normal. So, everyone's happy.
0: Something you might also ask for in a situation like this is a bladder scan, which obviously would be full in a guy like that.
1: Mm. And it can give you an idea of how much needs to come out once you do unblock yeah. the catheter. Okay, so so... That's the end of this case and I think the key point here is that if you have a restless patient with abdominal discomfort, agitation and sensation of needing to pass urine, this suggests an acutely distended bladder, but it's worth keeping in mind that although our guy in this case had um, a, an uncomfortable abdomen, sometimes there are no signs or symptoms.
0: Cool. Next case.
1: Okay, so the next case is a... Um, lovely lady who um, has come into hospital with a small bowel obstruction. You get called because she also has low urine output. Mm -hmm. So we'll go through those questions again. First question, um, or Dava, would you like to ask the questions?
0: Thank you. (laughs) How much urine has been passed in the past 24 hours?
1: (laughs) We are back in primary school. I'm sorry to do that to you. (laughs) All right, so not sure, but... um, 40 mils have have been passed in the past three hours. And if you remember, we said before, it should be over 20 mils an hour. Anything under that is oliguria. So 40 mils in three hours is bad. This is oliguria.
0: Is the patient complaining of abdominal pain? (laughs)
1: No.
0: What are the vital signs?
1: BP is 110 on 70. Heart rate's 95. Respirate's 12. Afebrile.
0: Is there an IDC? No. What was the reason for the admission?
1: So we already said that. So small bowel oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Um Just, just worth noting. So with those vital signs, they all seem pretty good. We said um, systolic BP was 110, but this patient's baseline was 130 <coughs> to 140. Heart rate's 90, 95, which sounds okay, but baseline was 70. So it's worth comparing and seeing if there is a relative um, change yeah. in the vitals. So on the phone, you ask to. Um, get a postural BP and you tell the nurse that you're on your way. So on the way there, thinking about what the possible causes are here, what the red flags are to look out for and the most likely thing that may be the case here, which is is the patient dry? Is the patient dehydrated? Mm -hmm. So If we first think about what the critical conditions are that might present like this with some relative hypotension as well as low urine output, we get any kind of shock, so pre-renal things, that mostly present differently. So they present first with chest pain or they present first with more extreme hypotension and not firstly with low urine output. So you're not thinking here that it's an AMI, but it's worth keeping that in the back of your mind.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, so we get to the patient and through our history and exam, and she says that she's thirsty, and you notice that she has a nasogastric tube in situ, which is on free drainage for her small bowel obstruction. On the fluid status exam, you can't even see her JVP, which means nothing because you're an intern and you've never seen one before anyway. That was a joke. Was it? Yeah, interns aren't very good at seeing JVP. Uh, so. Mm. Anyway, decreased tissue turgor. Cap refill is four seconds, so it's a little bit slow. Dry mucous membranes and postural hypotension.
0: What I really want to know, though, is how wet are her armpits? (laughs) Bit of a callback to a previous podcast. Nobody listens to this.
1: (laughs) Um, We did talk a bit more about fluid fluid status, though, in the acute kidney injury podcast, I think. So. Back to, back to this patient, her bladder is not palpable and it's not tender. And her most U- recent UEC was done a few days ago, but it was normal. And she's not on any nephrotoxic drugs.
0: Yeah.
1: So in this case, it really looks like we've got a thirsty patient who's clearly dehydrated. And it really looks like the first port of call for management is to rehydrate her. So management would be to give her some fluids, get a fluid balance chart started and take a UEC because one hasn't been done for a few days. And it's worth suggesting that aside from maintaining a fluid balance chart that a daily UEC is also done. How does that sound?
0: Very sensible.
1: And we mentioned that this might be a pre-renal thing, so with this dehydration. How do you actually differentiate between pre-renal and renal looking at a UEC?
0: So you look at the u- urea to creatinine ratio. Good.
1: So, and is that higher or lower in pre-renal?
0: So it tends to be greater than 100, so higher in pre-renal. Yeah. And that's because the creatinine is still being reabsorbed.
1: Yeah. And so if the urea to creatinine ratio is less than 40, then that's a renal cause. because mm the urea can't be absorbed and it becomes like creatinine and the ratio is approaching one.
0: Kidneys are no longer doing kidney things.
1: Exactly. So in this, back to this case, the patient was given the fluids and perked up. Normal urine output resumed and vitals got back to her baseline. So in this case, the dehydration was most likely um, sort of initiated by the fact that she had this nasogastric tube on free drainage.
0: All right, take us home with our last case, back.
1: Okay, so this one is a little bit more complicated for an intern to deal with themselves.
0: Sometimes you'll come across those, though.
1: No. <laughs> yeah, so you get a page saying, um, "Please call Ray Selma, Bed Forty Two, who has low urine output."
0: Loving these great pages.
1: So, you ask your usual questions. How much urine has been passed in the past 24 hours? 390 mils. Which is under our borderline for oliguria, which was 400 mils in a day, mm-hmm. but only just. Mm. Does the patient have normal vital signs?
0: She's a bit febrile, 37.9. And I know what you're going to say. She also doesn't have any abdominal pain. She doesn't. she doesn't have an IDC. There's only one nurse in the hospital, she's sick of answering your questions. <laughs>
1: So then the reason for admission was orbital cellulitis. So you go to see the patient and take a history and have a look at her charts. And she's actually had 10 days of IV keftriaxone and is also on day 6 of oral augmentin. So she's got a lot of antibiotics on board, but she's been taking them for a little while. Mm. On examination, she looks sick. She's febrile, as we mentioned, and she also has a maculopapular skin rash, which she states is new.
0: For those of us who aren't dermatologists, what's a macular papular rash?
1: So macules are a um, an area more than 0.5 centimetre in dynam- diameter. She's good. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and papules are raised. Nice. So a bumpy skin, skin rash. Yeah. And as we said, you do this with everyone, you... Palpate her bladder. It's not palpable and it's also non-tender. But you do a full examination and you notice that she actually has slightly enlarged kidneys.
0: Blotted them.
1: You blot them. So on, a, on her most recent bleh, on her most recent FBE, she has eosinophilia, and a recent UAC shows that she also has high creatinine and a decreased eGFR. So her kidneys aren't looking too crash hot. Urinalysis, what would you expect? Have you got any idea where this is going?
0: I do, but I don't want to ruin it for people.
1: Okay, so on urinalysis, she has some hematuria, some mild proteinuria, and pyuria, which is passing the urine.
0: Wikipedia page is gross, by the way.
1: (laughs) All right, so you might have learnt in earlier med school about the hypersensitivity triad, which is rash, fever, and eosinophilia. I don't know how to say that, but those three things. So this patient has those three things, which means that it sounds a little bit like interstitial nephritis. And usually this comes from hypersensitivity to various drugs, and there are certain classes of drugs that are more likely to produce this, so sulfonamides, a lot of the penicillins and keplosporins the fluoroquinolones, isoniazid, rifampicin, and importantly, it usually takes several weeks of exposure for the interstitial nephritis to develop. The diagnostic triad is, like I said, fever, skin rash, and eosinophilia, but it often doesn't present quite like that. So this is um, out of intern depth. So at this stage, you would ask for help, but just for sort of a general overview, the, the way to manage that is to discontinue the drug that's causing the reaction. And that usually results in a complete reversal of the renal injury. But sometimes that damage might be irreversible. So you'd probably suggest that augmentin was stopped.
0: Mm. Thanks very much, Beck.
1: No worries. So just in summary, um, low urine output could be from a pre-renal, renal or post-renal cause. The two top um, causes are blocked catheter and insufficient fluids. So everyone needs to have their catheter flushed and fluid status checked. And oliguria is defined as less than 20 mLs an hour or less than 400 mLs a day. Prioritise it urgently or the patient might get hyperkalemia. That's it.
0: Look for the Quizlet, guys. Thanks awesome. very much. Thank you.